Data catalogs are one way to address the tension between wanting to use all the data for business advantage and needing to govern all the data for compliance. Today, Zishan Papa, a Databricks product specialist for the Unity Catalog, joins us to discuss how catalogs can help companies capture the full value of their data. This episode is hosted by Jocelyn Bernhul. Jocelyn is focused on data, ML, and enterprise software. She has experience as a founder, investor, and product leader, and has worked with both startups and large financial service companies. Jocelyn is currently a Senior Director of Product Management for Security, a unified data controls company. Follow Jocelyn on LinkedIn or on Twitter, at Jocelyn Byrne. Zeeshan, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks, Jocelyn. It's great to be here. So as customers are adopting Delta Lake and expanding their use cases for Databricks, their need for tools is changing, and that's part of what you're working on, right? Yeah, so when we start to think about the the expansion of tools and the expansion of the offerings, right, that come out of the Databricks ecosystem, you know, we initially we started with just Databricks as an as as, as effectively Apache Spark, right, uh, with a turnkey offering, right, platform as a service Apache Spark, and that's that's where we started, right. But the product has grown quite a bit, and we have a what we call uh, SQL warehouses, right, Databricks SQL, which is a uh, warehouse component that gives you the ability to to uh, provide a SQL interface. Um, at great scale, right, for your, um, you know, your analytical queries that might be run out of a traditional warehouse, but except instead of reading that data out of a data warehouse, a really expensive data warehouse product, whether it's an on-premise data warehouse product or cloud data warehouse product, they all cost an enormous amount of money. Um, you're doing it off of Delta files, or Delta Lake files, right, living in your data lake. Um, so the, the goal is to get to this magical place where we can do subsequent queries on small data sets and you know, really fast queries on large data sets, which the data, data, data warehouses can't do today. Um, but once we can do both, then you know, our product is frankly better um, and more powerful and more complete. And that's, that's, the, that's the where we're marching to. And we have a pretty clear path on how to get there. So, Well, I'm going to... So, um let me just uh, summarize the last five years in two sentences, which is like, hooray, cloud data, uh-oh, data governance, right? Every company has kind of stubbed their toe on this, and you're working on the Unity catalog. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. What is that? So Unity catalog is a uh, is the foundational layer of data governance for the Lakehouse architecture. So what that, what that really means is that it uh, provides the ability to... Uh, for your for your users to basically register their data, uh, for their for your users to be able to control the access on who governs their data, um, it provides some incredible features on being able to see things like data lineage, uh, also things for uh, discovery uh, and being able to find your data and look for your data, search for it, tag it, so on and so forth. Um, it also offers some other really cool governance features, some really foundational stuff like attribute based access control um, and uh, role level security, column level access control, all stuff that we're we're building and it's in the pipe right now for Unity Catalog. So pretty pretty amazing product, pretty capable. Um, but if you think about it, uh, what, what you had to do prior to Unity Catalog in order to, to govern data in Databricks, right, or govern data on Spark, right, was go and work with a third party, right? Um, you had to go and work with a third party, and you had to buy into their product and into their suite. Um, I can tell you this because I work for third parties, right, as well. Um, and you had to buy into their suite and buy into their, their, their methodologies, and there's some type of complex plugin architecture uh, that would break on a you know, regular basis every time there was a DBR or a version upgrade. Um, it's one of the problems, right, with, with integrating, uh, you know, and, and, and kind of putting software together, right, and, and, and any kind of integration task, right, is that uh, as versions change and as things upgrade, uh, the 
product itself, you know, uh, whatever functions or hooks you might have been using in, in, in version A, right, may not necessarily be completely compatible with what, whatever uh, functions or hooks that you can use in version B. So this, you're constantly in this, as an integration provider, right, as a, as a data governance company, you're constantly in this, this chase, this chasing, chasing the, uh, the, the data platform or chasing the, 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 the tool that you're integrating with, and um, you're always behind. Um, and it's different when the data provider or the, the sorry the data platform provider like Databricks right provides that as a feature right because we are in control of our roadmap so we're not going to release things that are going to break our own product right so there's a <laughs> well, bit of a bit of that's a that's the aspiration here. right that's the aspiration sorry. at least yeah you make me laugh a little bit with that but yes that's the aspiration and you should have the tools that everything you need to pursue that dream within one platform um, you know talk a little bit about the way um, you know workplace. The segregation of endpoints used to be used. I think it's so interesting how you evolved your product vision for catalog uh, from the way people were really using workspaces. Can you talk a little bit about that uh, narrative? Absolutely. So workspaces in Databricks sort of used to be this very monolithic entity um, where everything was kind of contained. So user management, uh, the meta store, which is which is traditionally a hive meta store, um, and all of the other aspects of, of configuration and control were, were more or less self-contained within a workspace. And your organization could have multiple workspaces. So in effect, your organization could have multiple instances of Databricks uh, and, our, and our product and our platform um, running in different you know, non-homogenous ways across their enterprise. In addition to that, um, the data management, right, and the, the actual aspect of having a meta store, the high meta store I mentioned, right, um, was not exportable or, uh, or reusable across your enterprise. So what you had to do is you had to recreate state of, uh, you know, say your, met, your metadata, um, like wh wh what tables you have in your information architecture, where those tables point to. That had to, that had to be effectively be recreated at different places in your organization if you wanted to have a consistent view of your organization's enterprise data catalog or uh, you know, whatever your information architecture was that you wanted to share across different operating groups, right? And, and workspaces kind of became this, became this effectively data domain, right, that uh, became very hard to break out of. And Unity is a, is a way for us to break out of that. Um, Unity basically gives us the ability to, to, instead of, you know, previously we had this, this concept of a meta store, a hive meta store that was tied to a workspace. Unity gives us the ability to create a metastore, which is not really a high metastore, it's a Unity metastore, and we can talk about the differences there. <laughs> I do want to talk about that, but just in case, um, metastore, uh, metadata, right, for most organizations, they collect metadata, data about all of their raw data so that they can index it, classify it, search it later, right, just to, okay. Yeah, yeah, and that, and that, and that metadata, I mean, if you think about a metastore, a metastore is a poor man's catalog, right? I mean, we'll talk about, if we, if we think about a catalog in general, right, like the idea of a catalog, there's, there are two types of catalogs and as, far as, I, as far as I see it. There's operational catalogs and there's reference catalogs. Reference catalogs are the things that your enterprise has uh, that provide a holistic view of your, your enterprise's data estates, right? An inventory of all data assets, basically. And that's usually done after the point of creation or update, right? That's not, it's never, it's never in perfect sync with when the asset is created. Then there are operational catalogs, which are different. They are intrinsic to the use of data platforms. Meaning, in order to do something as simple as like run a query, your platform would need to go to the operational catalog in order to grab the information that's needed to execute that query. Like, where's my data located, for example? This is basically what Hive did, right? And that is to say that operational data, operational catalogs are in the query path, but they're not in the path of data, right? They're not, they're not stopping you from getting your to your data or being in the path of your data. They're just making your data available to you. Um, and they're, they're, they, don't, they don't provide those reference features, right? Like reference catalogs have enormous amounts of information about uh, 
the data product or data asset that, 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 they, that they would be cataloging. Um, but they do provide some of those features. Like they might have some of that information. They don't necessarily have all of that information. Um, the irony, though, is that the growth of modern data platforms, Databricks included, right, has seen the adoption of these types of operational catalogs grow. People refer to these things as metastores, like we mentioned, right? But this is, ultimately, this is where they go when they look up their data. So in that basic sense, it is still a catalog. I got you. So that what was happening is that, you know, line of business one would set up one workspace with its own checklist of metadata it's looking for. Uh, okay, yes, this is customer data. Yes, it has some PII or, you know, do this, don't do that. And oh, by the way, Jocelyn can use it, but Zeeshan can't. And that would be one line of business. And then another line of business would have to walk through that entire setup as well in the old days. And what you're doing is you're creating you're creating a way to set all that across all of your Databricks instances. Yeah, so let's, let's, let's assume that there's a third person in this room, Pete, right? And I'm a data provider in my organization, and I'm producing a data set, and I'm making it available to you, and I'm making it available to Pete as well. In the old world, right, if Pete was in a different group as you and he was using a different workspace, we'd, the, the data provider or the person who's managing that, uh, that workspace would have to set up a reference to my data in both your workspace and Pete's workspace. Now, with Unity, I can set it up in one place, and because you're both using the same Unity catalog metastore, you can see put the data in both places provided you have access to it. And that is something companies really want because... Yeah, so this, this concept of enterprise data catalogs, right? I, I think if you take a step back, right, um, data, data and data availability, right, matters a lot. And I think data governance is a part of that. And the, the, the reality is that we're in the middle of a data revolution, right? Like the average company has, I don't know, 160, 170 terabytes of information. The average enterprise's data is measured in petabytes, right? There's a lot of data. And um, if you think about the larger, the larger that an enterprise gets, the challenges are, um, are unique because every individual line of business or every individual group within an enterprise might have different delivery functions or IT delivery functions or business, business IT functions which are providing services to them, right? Um, and those are not necessarily always centralized, right? So there's, there's always like group A in, in enterprise, in enterprise uh, in a particular enterprise might be doing something one way, whereas group B might be doing it another way. And this obviously presents a lot of challenges. And tools, right, centralized uh, governance, centralized catalog tools, right, present enterprise as a way to be able to, 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 to federate this, put, put together a homogenized view of what the enterprise data catalog is, which ultimately makes information easier to find um, and also more easy to control. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So this, uh, I guess it's really a tool and an architectural layer that's unity. Um, I looked at some of your materials and there's this notion of a three level namespace. Is this a good time to talk a little bit about that before we get into some of the other features? Totally. Yeah, we could talk about three-level namespaces. I love three-level namespaces. So <laughs> this is this is a podcast, so people listening won't know. But Zishan's smiling, and he seems very excited big, to talk about big, it. Big grin. Um, so <laughs> it's it's so there's a there's a reason I like it though. Uh, so we talked about this idea of workspaces kind of becoming data domains, right? And that's, this is kind of the way that they grew. Like you might, your sales team might have had a workspace where there's the sales analysts were crunching through data that they pulled from various sales platforms and so on and so forth. Your marketing team might have a workspace. Your dev team or one of your development teams might have a workspace. Business team A might have a workspace. And, um, you know, because the, the workspaces, right, were also operational domains, right? Operational domains and data domains tend to get conflated in most enterprises very often. And as a result, for good or bad, right? Um, workspaces became data domains, right? It's, not, it's, it's you know, it is, it is what it is, right? Good or bad. That being said, um, 
within a workspace, you had a hive meta store. So within this, this boundary of a workspace, so this operational and data domain boundary, you had a, a hive meta store. And that hive meta store had two layers of namespacing. It had a, an object called a database, and then under that, you could have things like tables and things like views and functions and so on and so forth. Um, and this was great because, you know, if you have a particular line of business, you've got applications, okay, let's make every application a schema, and then, you know, but the data that's relevant to, to my application or the data that's coming out of that application can be represented in tables and views and so on and so forth. And that made a lot of sense. Um, now, when you think about uh, uh, breaking that boundary, right, um, putting this all in one place makes data very hard to find. It also makes data very hard to control. If, if we had just a two-level namespace, you could have thousands of schemas or tens of thousands of schemas, right, in even a small organization. Um, so that three levels of namespacing, right, gives us the ability to create these more complex hierarchies that let us control um, and dictate, right, uh, what uh, a individual, um, like, line of business or an individual data domain might be. And that tends to be the most common way that our customers uh, use the catalog component of a three-level namespace. So it's, it's just, to, just to, like, put this in, in, in context. Three level, a three-level namespace is a catalog dot schema or database dot table or view. Uh, and that's effectively what, it's, it's basically a way to address a, a piece of data, ultimately. It's an addressing scheme, right? For a it's piece a location. It's a location. Right? Think of it like a, like a www.google.com you know, URL, right, for example. Mm -hmm. It tells you how to get there. Um, and effectively, uh, the, the way that our customers use the catalog part of that three-level namespace is they use it for things like, like data domains. They use it for different lines of business. They use it to represent sometimes things like environment scopes, like dev, test, or prod, mm -hmm. um, depending on their requirements. Or sometimes, in, in, in some cases, even combinations of those. That is interesting. And um, does this also make um, Unity Catalog more backward compatible? I'm just yeah, thinking about all so, the people who had a boatload of workspaces, right? They're like, right. great. <laughs> So it, it, the three-level namespace gave us two things, right? One is the, the ability to, to kind of solve this, this operational domain and data domain problem. The other was the fact that we have, um, we still have Hive Metastores, right? So there's, there's going to be a coexistence of Unity with Hive Metastores. So that coexistence has to, has to allow, in, in our platform, we have to allow users to be able to access the data that lived in their Hive Metastore, that was referenced in their Hive Metastore, um, while still allowing them to access data that's in Unity Catalog. So the way we solved that is we actually added a synthetic catalog to Unity, right, called Hive underscore Metastore. So in every installation of Databricks, right, every workspace that has a, a Metastore, a Unity Catalog Metastore configured, there's a Hive underscore Metastore catalog, right, that you can use to address your legacy Hive Metastore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's thoughtful. And that's really good. Uh, so many customers don't get tools, right, to adopt comfortably across a complex organization. So that, that's a really thoughtful part of the product. Um, all right, let's uh, go up a level from the namespace and talk a little bit about uh, one of the big benefits of any, well, almost any catalog and certainly of Unity is the ability to have granular access controls to the data. Um, before we talk about your um, Unity version of how to address that problem. How do you see, how does cloud data change the problem of granular access? Yeah, so let's take, I guess there's, there's two ways to look at that, right? There's cloud data, like cloud service providers, like Amazon or AWS and you know Azure, Google, so on and so forth. So all of them have their own data storage like platforms, right? You've got AWS, you've got S3, you've got GCS, so on and so forth. And each of them have their own non-homogenous security models. 
right? So every single one is different. And most, most customers that we work with, a lot of customers we work with, especially the enterprises, are now multi-cloud, right? So now they have to deal with two different types of security models that work two different ways across two different clouds or three different clouds. And um, that obviously presents some fundamental challenges, right, when trying to govern your data. But moreover, data is not stored in tables, right, in, in cloud storage, right? It's stored in files, right? Um, and files might represent, uh, you know, more than, more than a, the, the way that, the way that uh, data is stored, like in like Delta or, you know, tools like, or, or formats like Iceberg or Parquet or, you know, whatever you, whatever you would decide to choose. Um, it's ultimately stored in, 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 you know, row column groupings or in column format. Um, and as a result, uh, a particular file, like a partition file of data might have many different rows of information and many different columns of information. So granting access to a file means that I can't guarantee what information I'm giving somebody access to. So we changed that with Unity. Um, and that, that, you know, basically like there's a, there's a story I like to tell on, on the way that queries work in Unity and uh, how that's different than, than you know, the way that things currently work in the cloud. Um, so there's a lot of challenges basically with fundament- fundamentally with cloud, uh, uh, cloud, cloud service provider uh, security models. And you know, that's, that's one of the things that we sought to change. Interesting. Um, so centralized access controls in Unity are based on ANC SQL um, DCL, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we we we, lead, we lean on anti SQL DCL to provide an interface, right? To it's something that's familiar, right? So because everybody pretty much knows how to write a grant statement, right? Um, so that that makes it easy for for people who have been working traditionally in RDBMSs or have been working with data warehouses to feel comfortable coming into our product and saying, okay, you know what? I know how to do this. I know how to make this 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 piece of data available or give myself access to this piece of data, so on and so forth. Um, so yes, NC SQL DCL. We also allow actually for the control of um, like the articulation of policy into Unity via our API. So we have a RESTful API that allows you to um, articulate policy into Unity. So we have some of our data governance partners, guys like Immuta or Privacera. They they actually have policy engines right in their in their own products that translate their policy into grant statements or you know API calls on our side uh, to to effectively you know mirror that policy into Databricks. Um, we also allow for the same thing via Terraform. So we have a Terraform provider that lets you do this. So if you have like CI/CD, you're trying to do policies as code, right? It's all it's all possible in the Databricks ecosystem. Yeah, it's really interesting architecturally. You've got this shift to the three level namespace. You've got this intellectual focus on the queries as much as or more than the data. It's a really modern approach. One of the things I've seen you talk about, and I'd love to just talk through it, is the life of a query of a query using Unity, just from you think about the architectural diagram from left to right. Can you just walk us through the narrative of how a query, the life of a query inside this catalog, or inside of you know typical data processing activity? Yeah. So let's let's take let's think about the life of a query with Unity. So you as a user, like, and this could be an individual or a service principal, a service user, right? Doesn't matter. You send a query, and that's a SQL query, a Python command, an R command, something in Scala. Um, to a cluster or SQL warehouse. And um, if that operation involves data that, that you don't currently have in, in cluster memory, what will happen is that cluster or that warehouse will make a call out to Unity Catalog. And Unity Catalog is what we like to call a control plane service. So that means it's in the Databricks side of the, of the hybridized um, responsibility world of, of a Databricks deployment, right? So t- traditionally in a Databricks deployment, you've got your clusters and your SQL warehouses that run in your virtual networks, and then you've got a control plane that runs in our uh, in our domain, um, where you interact and that controls and, and articulates and, and, and manages your resources for you. Um, so that being said, the cluster or warehouse sends this to the control plane service that is Unity Catalog. 
Um, Unity Catalog then evaluates, okay, the, this is the user that's making the request. Does this user have access? Does he not have access? Okay, he does have access. Let me, let me give him access to this data. Uh, but before, it, before that happens, in parallel, uh, there's, a, there's an audit, um, audit log activity that happens that basically says this user was granted access to this data uh, based on the policy. This user was denied access to the data based on the policy. Once Unity has made that determination, written, out, written, out, written that out to the audit log, um, there is a, a separate thread that basically um, uses the, uh, and, I'll, and I'll explain this in, in, in further detail, that uses cloud provider credentials that are stored or, or lended to Unity Catalog to be able to sign URLs or scope down temporary tokens on behalf of that cluster. So the gist here is that the cluster or the warehouse, the, or the user by extension, does not need to have direct directly granted access to the files in cloud storage, Unity will broker that access in a temporary way for that user, in a, in a, basically in a, in a secure and temporary way. Um, hmm. so it has the, like an the, expiry typically, right? It's just Yeah, it's like a, I think it's by default, it's like one hour, 30 minutes or one hour. Um, and, then, and then the cluster is intelligent enough to basically go and grab a, grab a refresh token if it needs to continue, continue accessing that data. Um, once, that, once the cluster of the warehouse gets that token or that, uh, or that, that, that you know, a scope down like role basically what it does is it goes and it goes directly to cloud storage so your s3 or your adls or your gcs um, and then it will request or ingest that data directly based on the paths that were provided um, once that data makes it, it makes its way back to the cluster of the warehouse remember we talked about partitions right and partitions of data may have more data than you may have access to that cluster or warehouse will perform any additional fine-grained filtering based on that user's policy uh, and before that result is sent back to the user so for example if Jocelyn did not have access to C data that was uh, originated in the state of North Carolina. Um, and there was a flag or a, a field there called origin state that said NC. Um, there would be a policy or a view, right, or some kind of uh, like a, what we call role-level security or, or secured views, right, that would give you the ability to dictate that Jocelyn can't see this. And effectively, that, that, that last mile of enforcement before that partition file yeah, when that partition file is grabbed from the cloud storage device and brought brought to the, to the cluster of SQL warehouse, that last mile of enforcement is where we'll enforce policies like that. And that's happening inside Unity. That's happening as that's actually technically happening inside of the DataWorks runtime in in Spark, um, but it is a function and related to Unity Catalog. So it grabs the policy and based on the Unity policy, it evaluates it and and then enforces it accordingly. And then triggers that. Okay. Okay. So we've talked a lot about the architecture, the you know. Uh, ways to manage operational versus data domains. Um, let's say we're doing all this. Everything's going great. What do, particularly enterprises, what what benefits and use cases can they explore now that they weren't able to explore before? I know one of them is data discovery. Yeah, so um, one of them is data discovery, certainly, right? So I think uh, not having a consistent view of all of your data across your estate is a challenge for a lot of enterprises. I mean, they pay a lot of money and they work with a lot of firms to do things as basic as data discovery because they don't know what data they have and where it lives. Um, it gets more complicated when they have non-homogenous uh, tool sets, right? They've got different data platforms and they're all kind of stitched together. Um, there's all this glue and connective tissue that, that's, that's responsible for making that happen. Um, and every individual piece of that puzzle has to be evaluated, right? So the single data platform world Frankly, is is it is easier, right? There are buy-ins, right, and there are there are there are obviously setbacks or not setbacks, but there are there are limitations that you you adopt when you whenever you take into a single platform view. But there there are a lot of uh, efficiencies that you gain as well. Um, that being said, um, I, I think that uh, if you think about the, the majority of the enterprises that take and are interested in taking Unity Catalog, and actually to be honest with you, right now I think as of today, 
I looked at our customer account. I think we've got almost 1,800 customers that have deployed Unity Catalog, which is phenomenal. Um, and the number of customers that, 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 are, that are using it and the, and the feedback that we've gotten has been pretty, pretty positive so far. Um, and most of our customers seem to be uh, of the mindset that uh, you know, this, this type of governance, these types of governance features, these types of catalog features, right, are fundamental to the nature of, for, their, for their success of any data platform. Um, but there are some obstacles, right, that, that you know, some of these guys get into. And um, you know, I think it's uh, not every enterprise is ready to adopt a centralized governance tool. And there's some good reasons for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I was about to ask you, like, uh, you know, I'm seeing a lot of companies that, uh, that are adopting multiple catalogs, sort of no, nothing, to, nothing to lose, right? Yep. Okay. Um, so data discovery, you talked a little bit about you. I think you touched on data lineage as well. Um, Briefly. You, yeah, yeah. I'd love to get a clearer sense of that because I was looking at some of your materials and it seems, you know, you have a, a different perspective on what, like, how are you guys defining lineage, I guess would be yeah. an easy question. So um, let me start it. Like, uh, let, me, let me start it this way. Like lineage, I think, is, and I'll explain what I think lineage means, but lineage is a very valuable, it's a very valuable tool. I'll say that, right? Especially as data proliferates in organization. But what, what our lineage product effectively, effectively gives you is it gives you the ability to see what are the upstream and downstream uh, producers or consumers of every asset that you have. So for example, if I created a data asset that was a derivative of five other data assets, I would like to understand that relationship. Now, historically, it's up to the data engineer or whomever was the responsible for creating that asset that has to go and register that in a reference catalog somewhere and say, hey, I use these five data sets to make this. Mm -hmm. So um, assuming somebody, so assuming people are basically following the rules. Correct. And that's, that's okay. like, that's for the most part, that's how most lineage like tool sets have worked. And, you know, there are some code-based solutions, some, uh, you know, uh, interop tools that do code analysis or try to like hijack and see what what uh, web service requests you're making to see what types of data sets you're accessing. Um, there, are some, there, are some, there are lots of different ways that customers have tried to solve lineage. We solve it in a completely different way um, because of course we own the platform so you know, we, we really understand it really well. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a, a, a brief overview. So basically Databricks is all Apache Spark under the covers as I've mentioned a couple of times. So whenever you perform an operation in Spark, there's this object, and this object is called a logical plan. And that's basically like an abstract container for all of the different transformation steps that are generated that lead to like physical plan operations like maps and reduces and shuffles and reads and so on and so forth. The metadata from this plan object includes information about the data sets that are being used in each transformation step. This metadata is sent to like a lineage service, and this, this is a lineage service that runs in our control plane. It's not something that runs in a customer's environment. Uh, and it takes all this information and for, for, the, for simplicity's sake, it basically walks a very large graph, taking that data about all of those subsequent logical plans and all of those subsequent transformation steps um, from source all the way to target. And this gives us the ability to get near real-time lineage down to the column. I mean, I'm really proud of all of our products. And like when we announced, and you can see the big smile on my face now, when we announced the GA of lineage, I definitely danced a jig because this is an incredible tool. And it, it's, you know, from, if you think about it from like a use case perspective, like it takes the implicit trust and guesswork out of, you know, just, you know, understanding how, how any, any asset you have in your estate was created. It also, from an impact analysis perspective, gives you the ability to understand how a data asset is being used by other jobs or data sets um, that could help engineering teams understand the downstream impacts of corruptions to data or interruptions to availability. 
But then when you think about things like machine learning, it's even cooler because like for machine learning use cases, this helps with compliance, it helps with audits, it helps with ethical AI cases, it helps with proof of non-bias, like what data sets and which data sets and what data was used to train your models. This is, the, this is like fundamentally, it's the difference between your machine learning model and the application you present to your customers giving you biased responses or not. I mean, you've heard all, heard all these great stories in the news, like countless times about, you know, these racist, racist AIs and, and because they use they poorly, poorly defined data sets, right? Um, and and the, the part of that is because there's, there's no governance tools that are in place to help uh, data scientists and the teams that manage them um, ensure that they are using the right data and they're using the right uh, the, ex- the right uh, explainable uh, upstream explainable upstream precisely data yeah the ability to pick back so this is really um, is this something that would work in production or something that you would do as an analytical task after the fact yeah I think the, the way that the way that I envision this um, and the way that I think we're, we're looking at building this is to be an analytical task that's after the fact. Um, not something that would necessarily have to run against production because like any kind of model monitoring, right? Basically like as the, as your model like changes, right? You, you have some inputs that you want to test for, right? To make sure that, that it's going to meet certain criteria. So your model monitoring would have some of these, these uh, aspects in there, but also from a proof perspective, i.e. being able to go and, and like pass mm-hmm. a compliance audit, you need to be able to show these, yeah. are, this is the data set that I use to train this, right? Yeah. I've had some, I've, yeah. You can't show that then it, but it's not, it's interesting. The whole, uh, model governance for like really high risk models, you have to be able to show all the data you didn't use Correct. as well as what you chose, yeah. right? It goes both um, ways, exactly right. So that gets tricky to uh, yeah. <laughs> even re- even really recall what got used, uh, even for the best, most responsible modelers. So, um, so I would have some kind of machine learning uh, monitoring. It would trigger and say, hey, your fraud model that worked yesterday isn't working today. And then I would, this is the tool that would help me unearth what are all the explainable upstream data pieces that I use to train it and to put it into production. And then I could uh, either troubleshoot or explain myself later. Exactly right. Yeah. This okay. is all stuff we have in the pipe and it's super exciting. So I'm, yeah, that's I'm, exciting. I'm hopeful. Um, so I wanted to just talk a little, the last thing I want to talk about before I talk about implementation cases a little bit is, um, you know, a lot of, I, I work with a lot of financials, but I think a lot of companies are talking about data sharing in new ways uh, because cloud data opens up opportunities. There's not just risks, which we talk a lot about, but it opens uh, some opportunities. Um, is data sharing something that's part of the intent of this product or enabling data sharing part of the yeah. intent going forward? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So Delta sharing is our data sharing mechanism um, and Delta sharing is a, uh, it's a protocol that's built on top of Delta Lake formats. Okay. And um, so effectively, yeah. So so basically, Delta shares and Delta sharing, right, is a is a feature within Unity Catalog. So if you open up the if you open up Unity Catalog or uh, a DataWorks workspace, you go to the you go to the Data Explorer, you'll you'll see Delta shares or or sharing, right, in in the uh, in the Data Explorer, and you have the ability to to, to add things like shares and recipients and so on and so forth. Um, but the, yeah, the way we solve this, it, short answer, it is absolutely fundamental, and it's definitely a big part of this because as organizations start to um, have centralized catalogs and have centralized views of their data and govern it in central ways. Um, this also 
becomes a, a mechanism for being able to figure out how to get additional value out of their data. And sometimes that means they're sharing their data with other vendors or, or partners in order to enrich it and, and take it back. And sometimes that means they're selling their data. And we have some really amazing features um, out there to, to you know, kind of work on uh, and provide some of this, this fundamental functionality. Um, one of them is called Clean Rooms, and the other one is called Marketplace. And Clean Rooms are really cool. Like they give you the ability to basically like bring your data and work with your data in another um, with another, with another, bring your data and combine it with somebody else. Like, so say for example, two shoe manufacturers wanted to combine their data together to see, like, you know, what kind of common customers do we have? Uh, if they couldn't answer this question without bringing their data together, right? Um, and clean rooms give them a way to be able to do that in a secure way, so that one partner can't see the other partner's data. Um, so they can basically decide what types of queries we want to run on this, and they can do it together. So that's a feature that we're working on building out. And another one is marketplace, which is exactly what you think it is. It's a shopping cart for data and it's a way, to, it's a basically a place to sell all of your, all of your data insights uh, and, and make it available and, uh, and, and make money off of it. Um, and this is, a, I think, a, a trend that has grown. We're seeing it in other, other data platforms and we're seeing it in other, other, other products. And, and as, uh, as companies kind of get, get this idea in their head that uh, data is an asset on the balance sheet, not a liability, right? we'll start to see more and more of them uh, making, making data sets available for consumption. Whether it's public consumption or, or you know, uh, you know, for, as part of a financial transaction. Yeah, we should do a separate conversation about delta sharing. I'd love to talk more about clean rooms and also about uh, actual billing. How does that work? So we'll come back to that another day um, because I did want to talk a little bit about alternatives to um, that customers are. So we know customers are using multiple catalogs. Why would I choose Unity over, say, like um, Atlas or Amundsen? Sure. So uh, Atlas and Amundsen. Um, so we talked about reference versus operational catalogs, right? Um, Atlas and Amundsen are great examples of reference catalogs. I mean, you'd still you could still use them, and you can integrate them with Unity. That's the, that's the beauty here. Like we don't we are the way the way we look at this is if you want to use this to control your world, you're more than welcome to. But we really want you to use this to control our world. Right, um, and be a part of the and be <laughs> like a part that. of the Databricks domain, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 that's that's what we see Unity, right? It's it's this it is this operational catalog as I mentioned with reference features, right? And ultimately, we're not we're not uh, we don't want to boil the ocean, right? We have we have our our niche, and we want to stay in it, and we want to we want to dominate it, and we want to we want to keep doing what we're doing. Um, and Unity is a mechanism for us to to make it easier to get the kinds of workloads that we could not get before because we didn't have some of those fundamental governance features that other other products like data warehouses have. Um, so, to be fair, I, I think there's a, there's a we, and we call it a better together model. Um, there's a model where you have this catalog of catalogs, which is your Amundsen or your Atlas or you know any of the other multitude of, of catalog providers that are out there. Um, and those catalog providers will synchronize their metadata and their lineage with Unity Catalog via our APIs. Uh, and you know there's a consistent view across both worlds. And when you're inside the data platform, you still have a view of that catalog without having to go to a third-party system. Um, so we still get the experience, right, that we're looking for. Because think about it. I mean, you think about any data platform, any, any data tool that you've ever used. One of the first things you do when you open it up is you go look for data, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's what you're there for, ultimately. So if that's not a really easy and first class and turnkey experience, then, like, you know, we're, we're, we're missing our mark. So that's, why, that's one of the reasons that we, you know, we, we provided Unity and we've rebuilt and redesigned this experience from the ground up. That's, that's good. I like that better together. I uh, remember that. Uh, you know, so many businesses are... You know, Databricks is so big in, in complex organizations, and it's getting bigger. It is doing you know these incredibly um, high priority use cases and processing jobs for companies. Let's talk a little bit about implementation because if I had a massive Databricks implementation, I've got a lot of high priority data in there. 
you're like, hey, we've got this new thing. We want you to install it and have it touch everything. So, so <laughs> what are some patterns that yeah. have been successful patterns for starting to implement um, and getting to the full value of the catalog without, um, you know, causing a second digital transformation in your organization? Yeah. So um, the nice thing about Unity is that we, we do have some pretty good upgrade pathways um, that make it, and I, I'll call it an upgrade and not a migration. I don't like the word migration. I feel oh, like it, okay. it implies from, from my, from my, from my history, from my history as an engineer and my history and in, in, in working and consulting, migrations always scared people. I don't like that word. I like the word upgrade. I, I mean, you're, you're getting more. You're not, you're not just moving your data to another system. You're getting more, right? Um, so it's definitely an upgrade from that perspective. So that being said, when you upgrade to Unity Catalog, uh, there, there's a there's a, a variety of different ways we, you can do it. You can do it manually. You can do it via via code. You can do it via Terraform. Um, you can you can script a lot of this or automate a lot of this. And you can also do it in really isolated ways. So you don't have to go and take that Metastore and apply it to every workspace automatically. You can take create a Unity Catalog Metastore, push your data or register your data in it, set up all your ACL rules, put it in one or two workspaces, test it out, and then as you need to start bringing on other other other. Uh, uh, other workspaces and other groups, and start you know onboarding other data sets as necessary. So there's there's a there's some great coexistence strategies that we have, and a lot of our customers uh, we don't see in some cases right where customers that are even even the ones who consider themselves to be fully in on Databricks and fully in on Unity Catalog, um, we don't even see sometimes we don't even see 100% adoption in their cases, and that's okay. Uh, because you know, there's always going to be some instances and some numbers of workspaces that are owned by teams that you know perhaps they have autonomy, perhaps they they don't want to be a part of the larger the larger organization, and they're given the freedom or the will to do so, or they have the will to do so, and they, they're given the freedom to do it, and um, that's okay. We don't, we don't we're, you know that's they're, they're, eventually they're all going to come to Unity. That's the way we see it. It's going to take time, um, and uh, as long as we make the upgrade story really easy and really turnkey. Um, I think we're going to hit our mark. And to, one, of the, one of the ways in which we do that today is we have a really cool tool called an upgrade wizard. So if you go into the product and you go into the data explorer once you've configured Unity, you can actually take all of the assets that lived in your Hive Metastore in any workspace and upgrade them to Unity Catalog. And that's a fancy way of saying that you know, the, 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 the external locations that were tied to those tables in, in um, that Metastore and the Hive Metastore will be then re-registered with Unity Catalog and put wherever you want. Um, so there's some pretty cool, pretty cool tools like that that can be also scripted and run, run ad hoc or on, a, on, a, on an ongoing basis. Like if you have, if you're still, if you're still writing data to your Hive Metastore, but you want to read it in Unity. So we have some other like synchronization mechanisms that, that also exist um, that make it pretty easy. Um, and we're, and we're, and we're constantly improving this as well, right? So we're trying to make this as easy as possible because like, like, you know, like some of our customers have said, we're all in on, on Unity. Mm-hmm. So for those of us who are fans of uh, data governance, and there are many of us, uh, at, you know, without sharing anything that anybody, you know, that's spe- that's secret, where do you think Unity is going? What should we look for in the longer term roadmap? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the premise that we've had for Unity, the top level theme that I would say is that we've, it's, it's unified governance for all data and AI assets in the lake house. That's, that's the, that's the, that's the like blanket statement, right? But there's some themes there, right? And um, the first theme is uh, centralized access control and auditing for data and AI assets, right? So when I say data and AI assets, what I really mean is data, AI, data assets, AI assets, and pretty much everything that you have inside Databricks that you consume, whether that's a, you know, a query or a report or a dashboard, whatever it mm-hmm. would be. Um, like and the same thing, yeah. And, and basically, like, can we, can we provide uh, a consistent access control across all of these objects? Can we provide consistent auditing across all of these objects? And can we do it in a way that enterprises can trust, right? And that's, that's, that's a very big driver. That's probably our, our most important one, is that access control piece. 
Second is data observability and quality, right? So we have uh, quite a few features coming out around data observability, also around platform observability as well, and quality and data quality um, that we are uh, producing and, and, and building up for, 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 for uh, some of the next versions of our product. In addition to that, we also have data discovery, right? So building out discovery tools to allow you to discover what data you do have and classify some of the data that you have as well. Uh, so you're familiar, there's a lot of companies that have discovery and classification tools, right? We don't necessarily need to reinvent, um, but I think there are some, some, some key features that uh, you know, we will be able to produce that will give uh, and meet most of the use cases that we have for some of our customers. In addition to that, I've talked about this like concept of operational catalog, right? An operational catalog is incredibly useful for a data platform that is seeking to provide performance at scale. So we talked about this, uh, we, were gonna, uh, we're in, we are at some point, we are gonna unseat the data warehouse. And when we do, Unity and our operational uh, catalog and operational metastore that, that it provides is, is gonna be one of the mechanisms by which we do that. So I'll give you a simple example. Today, right now, uh, or uh, let's say prior to Delta Lake, I wanted to run a query on a parquet table. What a first, one of the first operations that had, to, that had to happen if the partitions were not registered in high, which oftentimes they weren't, sometimes they were out of date, is is a, is a you know a, a scan of that operate a scan of that table that's a scan of that directory to find what data files and partitions are there. Um, Delta Lake changed this by providing it in one file in a metadata file that you can just go and grab and it's all contained in in a single file. Unity is going to change this even further with Delta Lake uh, by caching some of that data and making it available and um, possibly providing some pre-aggregation for query plans and logical plans and things like that so that when you want to run a query. Uh, your driver doesn't have to do all of the work, right? Unity can do some of the work for you, make some of it easier, right? And then get you to being able to go and access and read that data even faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's especially of interest, I think, to your core base, right? In the data science and large scale processing world. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, switching gears a little bit, I wanted to kind of uh, come back to your, your role and talk a little bit about product specialist, which is a new type of title. I've been doing product management for a long time. Definitely it's product management is definitely changing. So let's, let me go. What you're telling me as a product specialist to me is like the Swiss army knife, right? You are working with customers, understanding their use cases, um, thinking strategically, feeding that, that information back into what we would traditionally call product management. I don't know what that role is called and, and the roadmap. Uh, do I have that right? It's this uh, interior. Yeah. Okay. You, you, you actually have it absolutely right, right? So like, if you think about like traditional outbound PM functions, mm -hmm. we, we play some part of that too, right? We play some part of traditional outbound PM functions. We play some part of inbound traditional PM functions. Um, and then we also play this uh, hybridized role, right? Where we're going and grabbing information from our customers and our field teams, enabling them and, you know, kind of making sure that we're all singing and telling a consistent story. Um, some of our some of our product leaders, Adam Conway is one of our one of our uh, one of our product leaders here at Databricks. Uh, he calls this uh, a three in a box, right? I like to take, he, he likes to take a he likes to take the team lead for every product line. He likes to take a team lead, a product specialist, and a product manager, and and they're they're basically like the they're the three guys that, that that need to hang out in a box and have the most conversations. And I can tell you this, like it is it is a it is a very good pattern, um, especially when you're in a, in a fast fast pace and high changing, like a, you, you, you're, you, have a, you have a big engineering team, but you don't have an engineering team that is you know, clearly capable of understanding and dealing with every single customer that you have. You've got 10,000, almost 10,000 customers nowadays, right? We've got a quite, a, quite a few different customers. And ultimately, like the, 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 the ability for our product managers and our, and our team leads, our tech, technical team leads within engineering to scale is limited. Um, so we help, we help them scale. And we also help them scale by leveraging the larger field community. We've got 1,500 
odd uh, you know, field, uh, field members in, in, in Databricks, right? Like, you know, solution architects and customer success engineers, so on and so forth. We've got quite a few different people. Um, so we, we leverage on them. We lean on them as well to help, to help us scale and make sure that we're telling a consistent story, that we are positioning our products correctly, right? And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think with the velocity of cloud data, with the velocity is really the needs of the customers are evolving faster than they can even enunciate them. You have to kind of be on site, um, and um, and you, you, you need it, you need it, somebody needs to be the voice of the customer, right? So that's, yeah, that's but it's getting important. harder and harder, right? Because yeah. it's so immediate, and so you do need somebody in the room almost. Uh, you, you know, when I when I started doing product, you, know, you worked on a release schedule, and we don't have that anymore. So a release schedule gave you like a pocket of time to go talk to people, understand. Now it's all happening at the same time, and so I think that is that three in a box model is really interesting. Um, have you? What did you do before? What were you a product manager before this? Like more traditional in outbound? Yeah. So actually, like I I have a, I've had an interesting career <laughs> to be honest with you. So for the last twenty odd years, I've done uh, I've been a software engineer. I've been a, an architect. Uh, I've been a consultant. I've done I've co-founded a startup where I did I did you know do do all the product management myself. Um, but in my most recent role, I was uh, leading. Um, a customer success and solution architecture function at uh, a company called Privacera, which is a data governance. Uh, data oh, governance right! You did tell me on that. Top of Apache Ranger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so like I said, long, long, long story. I could talk about it for a long time. Um, no, yeah. But- I was just curious. Like, compared to traditional product management, you seem to you seem to really enjoy the customer interactions. Yeah, I think uh, ironically, like if I if I if I and in, in, in thinking about that question, I mean, if I look back over my career over the last twenty odd years. I've been dealing with customers for almost every single year of that of that period, um, whether it was in a, a front uh, customer facing engineer role or as a consultant or um, even even by being you know an engineer or an embedded architect right um, on a customer or with a customer right i 'm still dealing with a customer every day i'm not it 's not my problem it 's their problem but i 'm helping them solve it um, so there, there's best, there's, best of both there's a mindset yeah there's a mindset to that 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 I think you evolve over time, and uh, it certainly helped me i think uh, you know and come into the role that I'm in today. I talk with a lot of students about the product management path, which of course I think is the best one. Um, <laughs> You're biased though. That's <laughs> I am biased. I think it's the best job available uh, to working people. Um, a lot of times people will ask me how, you know, like business school students and others, uh, how technical do you have to be to be a product manager? Have you ever run across this question and do you have an opinion? A lot. Yeah, I do actually. Um, so I think it entirely depends on the product that you're trying to build, right? Right. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. There, is no, there are no product managers at Databricks that, are, that do not have a technical background. Not that I know of. Not one. Um, and there's a, a large number of reasons for that, right? Um, it's a very complex product. It's a very niche space. And it's very hard to understand if you're making, I mean, ultimately a product manager's job is to make decisions, right? It's to make decisions that affect, right, the, the financial outcome of your, of your product and ultimately your company, right? That's, that's, that's how I would define product management at a, at a, at a very, like, you know, meta level. That being said, I think, I think that uh, if you don't have the subject matter expertise in whatever you're managing a product of, right, that, that you, you lack some of the ability to make really good decisions. You can get around this by being a really good learner. This is not a death sentence, right? You can get around this by being a good learner. You can get around this by having a great team and by listening to people. Um, and and if, you, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're uh, really good at composing information and putting all that together, then 
uh, I guess taking taking stories from different customers and analyzing your feature sets in your in your product or seeing what types of features that you do have in your product, then yeah, I mean it's not required, but it definitely makes it easier. Yeah, this industry is built on self-taught, so I like your theme of you know it is a gap, but it can be it's a gap that you can address by being a good student. And the only thing I would add on my two cents is use the product. Just get in there oh, and absolutely. start setting it up. <laughs> That's the like best a- way. <laughs> that was the first thing I did when I when I came to Databricks is I started using Unity Catalog, right? Um, I know it sounds and- funny, but even for technical people, <laughs> you tend to overlook it. I'm like, ah, oh, just give me yeah. the docs. I'll just read the docs, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Or use it to solve a problem. Use it to solve the intended problem. Yeah, it doesn't have the, to be fancy. Just like, stumble yeah. your way through, right? Yeah. And I forget that too sometimes. So anyway, just an add-on there. Well, uh, it has been... Wonderful talking with you. Your enthusiasm is great. Uh, the perspective of Databricks is so interesting in this hot topic. Um, so, Dijon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jocelyn. I appreciate it.